Well, I'm going to pretend that clock says seven o'clock and uh, we can begin. It's, it's, it's close. It's only a minute away. Um, again, we didn't even try to necessarily work on it. We found the problem from last week and we just had to uh, kind of buy this piece that will be coming in the, uh, kind of in the mail, so to speak. They're going to be delivering it tomorrow. So next week, uh, we're going to be back on the screen kind of walking through and again, teaching the methodology on how to link ideas together, how to link words together, how to, to look at the scriptures and say, did you notice how that to read it contextually, which is this word connects to this word, this sentence connects to this sentence, helps us understand what Paul is teaching and what he might be saying um, as we try to understand the Bible and then apply it to our own lives. And so that's the process. And so I, I did mine. And so you should have a fresh copy for you to doodle on and then my doodle. Okay, so this is kind of the work that I did on it, and uh, you can kind of see where I'm going to go on this, and we are going to be looking at 1 Timothy, that's the wrong text, but it's the right text. The top should say 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 15, but it is the right text, but it is the wrong heading, so kind of cross out that heading. Um, oh, I guess it's just, yes, yeah, it's, it's just on this one here that it actually says that. On, on your blank copy, it has the right one, 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 15. So let's pray, and then we are going to jump into this. God, I thank you for this time that we can come together and study your word. And Father, I pray that um, more than me even having the right ideas to say, that without receptive hearts, it really goes nowhere. And so... Uh, more than my ability to articulate truth and um, furthermore for the truth to be written uh, your spirit needs to intercede on our behalf and so I'm grateful for your faithfulness in tonight and so I pray that truly our hearts would be open to what your word is going to teach us so that we can faithfully hear what this text teaches um, we have traveled uh, thousands of miles and thousands of years from when this first letter was written. And yet there are just elements that stand eternally true uh, because you are the God of all and uh, humanity shares so many common denominators that uh, I'm just, I'm grateful that I can study this text and, and realize that there's so much that I need to do different. Um, I thank you for that. And I pray our hearts would be receptive tonight. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So let me begin with that kind of overarching idea. Um, the book, letter, basically is Paul writing a letter to Timothy, and Timothy will then be sharing that information to the people um, in the city of Ephesus. So that's kind of how the, the book is designed, the letter is designed to be. Um, you'll see words in the text that'll say things like this, Paul telling Timothy, I want you to command, and he'll say this, command certain people to, teach certain people to, I want you to appoint elders, I want you to appoint leaders so that they can continue this ministry. Now, it's good to look at these words generically. Sure, the Bible, we, we, we kind of get that sense, right, that the Bible is uh, speaking to us and trying to shape our understanding of things. So obviously the word command makes sense, but what happens, do you like being commanded, I guess is what I'm trying to ask. Do you like being commanded? And the truth is we don't. Even this concept of being taught, do you like being taught? Sure, that's why I'm here. I mean, honestly, look, it's not as busy as it is Sunday, so obviously there's some change. And what it is, I mean, you are obviously the most teachable people in Sunnybrook, right? Um, you're the ones that want to learn. I want to learn more. And so there is that teachable. But let me ask you this question. Are you teachable on your own terms or are you teachable? There really is a difference. Um, some sit in classes like this and they sit with arms folded kind of evaluating everything. Now, a part of that can be good. It's, it's good to not have a mind that just embraces absolutely everything. So don't get me wrong. It's, it's good for us to be evaluative in that, uh, in, in, when, when information is being given to us. But are you teachable or are you selective in what you want to learn? And then the idea of appointing 
Paul says to Timothy, I want you to appoint elders so that they can continue and they can maintain the truth, that they can command others, that they could teach others, that they could then appoint others. So all of these kind of have kind of this overarching idea to it that is difficult for us to deal with. And I, I always want to say, and now more than ever, but the older I get, the more I realize and the more history I read, I don't know if it's ever been easy. I don't know. It, just, it seems like it would be easier for Timothy, but just because I'm not Timothy, right? Timothy said, yeah, you thought it was easy? Seriously? I'd take Sunnybrook in a heartbeat compared to Ephesus, right? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised at all if you'd say that to me. It's about authority. And we live that after especially something has happened, I mean, we look at even our more recent history, there is an anti-establishment mentality. Um, the 60s radically changed, not only how we look at institutions, but how we look at the family, um, how we kind of uh, praise rebellion, okay? And so some things have changed. If not, and I'm not, I'm not trying to say that that hasn't existed throughout history, um, but in our most recent history, we are relatively more rebellious, anti-authority-based anti people in the past. We're very individually driven, and a lot of our lifestyle and a lot of the choices that we make um, are based upon us being the one who has the authority. Not only that, but philosophically... Um, we now look at the world in a pluralistic, relativistic way. So you know what those words mean, right? Relativism. So that truth gets to be determined by each and every one of us. So for me to stand here and say, well, here's the truth. I mean, ah, how can you say that? How can you say this is the truth? I mean, what you should say is the truth as I understand it, the truth as I perceive it, because there, it's, it's not absolute, it's relative. We all know that, or at least that's what culture is saying. So this is the context in which we now live in, and we're dealing with Ephesians chapter, or sorry, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 tonight, and it's going to be dealing with, uh, the, the book, by the way, deals with all of these things. Here's what I want you to tell men. That'll be in tonight's text. Here's what I want you to tell women. And, and the good thing is, is that men love to be taught right, what to do, whereas women even more so, right? Now, we're going to be dealing with, hey, tell women that this is how they should, are you ready for this? This is how they should dress, because women love that, and this is how they should, you know, it's, okay, It'll, this will come in later, this will come in later, and is addressed a little bit here tonight, um, and then this was dressed in chapter one and is going to be addressed later on. And usually we do things like this. As long as it's generic and it agrees with what we all believe, I'm okay. As long as it's generic and it kind of goes along with everything that we're saying, then I'm okay. Sure, I'm not one. Um, sure, I'm not one. Because by rich, right, you mean somebody who makes more than me. Okay, so we selectively walk through and yeah, let them have it. We selectively walk through so that I never have to be the one to feel the weight of the command, the weight of the teaching. So I'm always the one that's, 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 that's stepping around it. But I want us to just think about, as we get ready to unpack this text, because I promise you, you're going to want to argue with it tonight. Everyone, I mean, I spent my time studying through this text just arguing with it. Like, that's dumb, that doesn't make sense, that can't be right. And I'm like, this is the Bible. Where am I getting this from? Now, I don't, have any of you ever had that? I mean, there are, literally, there are ideas that are running through my head. It might shock you to go, I can't believe you're the preacher, and you're saying you have those thoughts. I'm going, listen, there is a war within my own head. As I look at the biblical text, and it seems archaic, and it seems out of place, and it seems different. So I have to ask some questions. What if we are here to learn? What if, like, your opinions about everything, your opinions about, for example, we all have opinions about what men should be like and what women should be like. I, I just, what if they're wrong? Like, what if what you believe about women and what you believe about men is wrong? Have you ever wondered about that? Have you ever thought, you know, everything that I believe about women is wrong? Have you ever, or I, I think it might be wrong. Have you ever thought that? Probably not, Right? Now, how many, of you, how many of you, when you look back, say, 200 years with the views that they had about men and women, how many of you look back 200 years and go, boy, they were wrong? Raise your hand if you just realize that they were wrong. 
Do you think they thought that? Do you think they thought they were wrong? No? Okay, so let me see if I can get this right. So all throughout human history, when people had ideas about marriage and about divorce and about sexuality, about the role of men and about the role of women, okay, everyone who had ideas, they were wrong, didn't know it, and you're right. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> I like the honesty, okay? He's going, yes, that's exactly what I think. And I love the honesty in that. That is just unbelievably scary, is it not? So what if we're here to learn? What if God knows more than us? Ever wondered about that? Do you, uh, you know, do you think God knows more than we do about how he made us and about how things should be? How many of you just, I mean, just, just, to make, just to be clear on this, how many of you look at the world and go, yeah, but how can God be, be uh, you know, God disagrees with the way the world is and look at the, how great the world is. Any of you look at the world and go, it's perfect? I can't know, I don't know how God would improve upon it. Like there's only happiness and joy and we've never been more alive and thriving as a culture and as a society. There is no more injustice. There is no more heartache. There is no more sadness, Right? What would God do? How could God make, so we don't even have evidence. If anything, we might have evidence saying what we believe about marriage and divorce and sexuality and men and women. And we're getting ready to do a whole series on that from Matthew 19. But if all of those issues, what if, what if in terms of even how Jim and Andrea decided to get married, that was culturally driven by Lionel Richie? Because he's an expert and we have endless love, right? And the, the search is over. It was, you were with me all the while. <laughs> That's our song. Um, but what if God knows more than us? Have you thought about that? What if God knows more? And, and, and here, you're all going, he does. Then do we need to just not hold on tightly to maybe some ideas? And I love this. What if we are blind to what we can't see? Which I think we are, by the way. I mean, just even the sentence kind of forces you to agree with me. What if you're blind from what you can't see? Well, I am blind to what I can't see, by definition. I know. Which means this is why uh, revelation is so important to us. Not the book, but what God does is that God comes down and says, let me reveal to you, you could never figure out by looking at a tree who I am. You might say, whoever made this, whoever made this forest, whoever made this redwood, whoever made this aspen, whoever made this thing, wow, that's amazing. But you would never deduce the fullness of me. Okay, so I need to tell you who I am. I need to literally to, to reveal myself to you. And so there is general revelation that lets us know that God is big and powerful and strong and brilliant. But I need more to know that he is also gracious. Because I could look at the world and not get gracious. I could look at the world and not get that I am a sinner. I could literally just look at the universe and go, I look at the universe, not at myself. But I could look at the world and go, I don't know. But when I begin to realize, like, so what is that which is going wrong inside of me? And the Bible says, oh, that, that warring in yourself, that warring with others, that relational strife, that is actually from sin and from selfishness. So the Bible gives us a way of looking at the world and what you and I, and I swear I mean you and I, what we are guilty of is selectively choosing which parts of the Bible we want to deal with. I, I try to double up on some of my teaching and recently I was uh, sharing some lessons in, a, in, a, in another Bible study from 1 Timothy chapter 1. And by the time I was done and I kept talking about a good conscience and a sincere heart and a pure faith, I don't know if I taught it better than I did here, but by the time we were done, as, um, as the recipients of that message left, one just felt brutally convicted, I need to be honest about some stuff in my life. See, the text spoke to him. And I just, I need to be, I need to be honest about some things that are happening in my life. And now all of a sudden, we've got a relationship that is struggling again because of the truth, because of the admonition about a clear conscience and a sincere heart and a pure faith. And you know what I love is that 
they asked the question, so what should I do according to the Bible? Like, how, how, do, we, how do we find relational harmony again? Because how many of you know that the world says that when you've been stuck to, you stick it back to them? How many of you heard that one? And, and you know what? You don't deserve this. You deserve better. And I mean, there's a whole methodology. And I got a text from someone today, and they just said, thank you so much for giving me a biblical perspective. And I, I kind of thought it was silly because I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> I mean, it's just what Jesus said, right? Like, forgive, and you will be forgiven and if you do not forgive, then you will not be forgiven. I mean, it's not, like, it's not like Jim's inventing this stuff. But the question becomes, like, are we able to hear this? And I would say issues like forgiveness and repentance about identities in terms of who we are and how we interact with one another are what should separate us from the rest of the world. And it doesn't. I mean, I don't want to just be a contrarian for the sake of being a contrarian, but it, I think something is broken if everybody on the university and everybody at this church agrees on everything in relation to marriage, divorce, sexuality, singleness, manhood, and womanhood. That's this new series we're going to be doing from Matthew 19. Manhood, womanhood, sexuality, singleness, marriage, and divorce. We've been planning it for a very long time. What if everyone in Stillwater agrees with us? Does that make you nervous? I think it should. Now, by the way, it's not like, well, what do you think? I have to think the opposite. That's not what we do. We don't go, what do you think? I got to think the opposite. No, no, no. It's, what do you, forget, forget, it doesn't matter what you think. What does the Bible seem to teach? Okay, what does the Bible seem to teach? And so here's how Paul explains it in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Um, first of all, those three little dots, do you remember what those are? Therefore, that's kind of my way of kind of having a therefore statement. So uh, on the black sheet, you'll notice three little dots, okay? Three little yellow dots. Both of the sections in this, um, in, the, in these two, there's two paragraphs here. Both of them begin with a therefore. And when you see those biblically, even though that doesn't come up in the English text, it means that Paul is linking it together with something. So we have some strong doctrine, some strong, you need to make sure that teachings stay true. You need to make sure that there are guys, as Ryan was teaching last week, that are abandoning the faith. And you can't be that way. And it's interesting that he begins with, therefore, first of all then, and then he says this, I urge, it's kind of the same word he uses in chapter one, verse three, I urge that, and he's gonna use four words that are not the exact same, but he goes into kind of a list of ways of describing what prayer is. I love this. Number one, the general word for prayer meaning to request or supplication, that our prayers have in them a supplicating, a God, this is what I want. But, but, but hold on, don't decide what you want yet. With supplications, with prayers, with intercession, so on behalf of someone else. God, this is what I want. God, I'm here not just for myself, I'm here for someone else. I'm interceding on behalf of. And then the last one he has here, and thanksgiving. Um, we call these praises, right? We call these praises. So I, I, I want one quick question before we delve into the specifics. I just love to look and ask and say, okay, what does your prayer look like? Your, con your consistent prayers before God. If I, if I said, okay, are they supplications? Are they prayers, which is just kind of more of a generic term? Are they intercessory on behalf of others? Or are they thanksgiving or just God I'm just so grateful for? It's good to realize that Paul's saying, I want you to do all of this. Like, this should be a part of how you talk to God. And by, by the way, I love to think about my prayer with God as in the same way as my conversations that I have with others. Imagine if everything that I did was just a request, everything I said. Hey, would you please, and then would you please, would you please, and then would you please, would you, how many of you would think, okay, you're kind of obsessed with what you want, correct? But what if you never asked for anything? Boy, you're proud. You don't even see that you have a need for anything, do you? I love that Paul says, I want you to do all of these different things. Um, what is usually lacking from much of our prayers, my, my, my uh, observation, um, especially corporately, is like is thanksgiving. 
We know how to intercede. Will you please pray for because they're sick or because they're going through a rough time or whatever. But I love the fact that Paul lists all of these different kinds. And then this is what gets interesting. I want you to do this. Pray, pray, pray in a supplicating way, in an intercessory way, in a general way, um, in a thanksgiving kind of a way. For all people... And then he's going to specify who he wants to, to look at, and it fits really, really well with what we are, uh, uh, the kind of the season that we are in right now in this country. I want you to have requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving for who? For kings and for all who are in high positions. <laughs> wow. Okay, now he's going to give a why here. Look, notice that the next word in the text is that. So there's going to be a purpose. Okay, so why would I pray for kings? But, but first of all, let's just go back and realize that what Paul has just said is, here's what you need to be for kings and for all. Do, do you know who Paul is talking about? Okay, first of all, if you were to just go back into Paul's day, um, the king or the Caesar at that time was who? Do you know? Nero. Have you heard of him? He, he, was, um, he was one of the very first, uh, wasn't the first, but he was one of the very first to do some serious persecution of Christians. Um, Nero would do horrendous things. He was a very selfish man. He was a very wicked man. And he was the leader of the Roman Empire. And it wasn't just him, but the Roman Senate. I mean, if, if you want to kind of break it down and think of more local magistrates, like Paul had problems in Ephesus. Paul had problems everywhere he went, but with local government, didn't he? Found himself thrown in prison. And what does he say? Man, I hate the government. I'm going to be on Sean Hannity tonight, actually. Let you know how much I hate the government. I'm going to just go off on how much I hate the government. I'm going to make the rounds and all the play. I'm going to let you know how much I, and it's interesting, you just don't get that from Paul. If I didn't know better, i.e. history, I would think that Paul actually had it rather easy. The way he just says here and in Romans 12, pray for those who are over us, for God has instituted them over us for a reason. And therefore pray for your government. And we don't, we don't have that attitude, do we? And of all the people that shouldn't have that attitude, I would guess that a, like a, a someone under the the tyrannical leadership of Dero would be one of those first people to say it. It's interesting, um, Paul doesn't go into this, but you have to assume that Paul still strongly sees God as sovereign over circumstances. How can he, how can he pray? How can he, how can he pray any kind of thanks? And it, there's a difference between um, just a Pollyanna-esque approach to life well, it could always be worse. I mean, it could be Caligula, right? So you could do something like that. Um, don't know if Caligula was worse. He was really, really bad, but I don't know if he was worse. Um, when you, you, it could be that, or Paul could say something like this. He really could have. He could have said, listen, like, I know Nero's bad, but do you understand, like, they're always bad. <laughs> and did you know that right now, Paul could have said this, did you know that right now within the Roman Empire, we've never had this much peace like, did you know that now I can, I can travel on roads that were paved for by the Roman government? And did you know that right now, better than any other time before, it is safe for me to travel between location to location? So listen, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm a big fan of Nero. I don't even have a revote, uh, whatever, Nero, uh, <laughs> trying to think of a joke here on the fly. Uh, Nero 60, I can't got to get the date right, 62 or maybe 64 or something like that, right? Revote re, re him in or something like that. He's saying, I don't know if I'm going to do that, but I'm telling you, do you understand that these things have been put in place by God? And do, do you ever just recognize the good that exists? Like, did you ever realize, like, the good that exists? And that's a good lesson for us to think through. Now, now, why do we pray for everyone? And then he gets specific, okay? So pray for everyone, specifically, those who are kings and those who are in high positions, so that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So what am I now, no, no, notice, this is why it's not just pray. 
It's not just pray generic thanksgiving. So what am I to pray for? Now notice, and this is why the specificity of knowing what the text is doing so that I know how to pray. See, so then how do I pray about what's going on in November? How can people, do you think we all have the same opinion about November? Answer is no. I don't even know if we have to. But you know we need to have to have the same position on? There should be no deviation on this. That we would pray that on behalf of those, the kings and those in high authority, and, and even all the way down to our local administrative works, that we would be praying for peace and for, 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 for the way of, of, of the preaching of the gospel to be spread. That's how we pray. And that's how we should pray uniformly. That's how we should think uniformly. Like God, on behalf of the advance of your kingdom, on behalf of the advance of, of this cause, God, on, on, on your cause, God, on behalf of this, this is how we pray. And this is how we seek that you change the mind of our Congress and our Senate, of, of our city mayor, of our whatever, I mean, of our towns, uh, council people. We want to be um, in, a, in a society and in a community that understands peace and that lives peaceably, and, and, and we need to be focused on that. And God, I come before you and I beg you that these things might happen so that your kingdom might advance. Is that how you pray? I'll be honest with you, I don't think that's how the majority of us pray. I'll be honest with you, that's not the majority of the way I pray. Mine is usually more of kind of a random thought more than a prayer. Oh God, please don't let them win. Okay, that's not even a prayer. That's just a thought. Right? Is that what Paul is saying? Have a random thought and kind of verbalize it to God? Or is he giving us a way to pray? In November. And until we get there, amazingly, he is. Now, I'm going to go back and kind of grab that orange line on, the, on, the, on, on kind of my example and, and kind of show you what's going on. You can already see what's happening. Um, but we are going to live, and this is going to be a big idea, uh, we are going to be dealing with um, how we should have both ideas about what God is like and what's going on, and in conjunction with that, that we need to have our attitude and our behavior shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ, okay? So if we are going to be praying to God that we would live, now notice this, that we might lead peaceful and quiet and godly and dignified lives, if that's what we're praying for. God, give us a place where we can be peaceful and quiet and godly and dignified. See, now all of a sudden I'm going, well, but... Really, I mean, that's, those are relative terms, right? No, 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 those are godly terms, actually. Like, they convict me deeply. Because I, I love, I mean, if I can just be honest with you, I kind of love on that peaceful side, I love peaceful with an edge. And I love to just describe, like, because the truth has an edge. And we got to confront, and we got to just rebuke. True. And then God said to me as I'm reading this, why don't you just read my text and admit that you're wrong sometimes? And I just had to swallow hard. Like, but Jim, what about peaceful? Um, you know, my dad, I don't know how many more years he'll have with us. He's 80-something, 84, 85 years old. But this is like my dad, who just would always look at me in my exuberance of youth, and he would read me this text. Son, there is something about peaceful, there's something about quiet, there is about godly, there's about dignified. And the older I get, the more that I realize there's some, there's some wisdom in that, and the wisdom is in the word that's right here. Which, by the way, Paul's not saying we don't rebuke or we don't admonish, but we don't, we don't talk enough about how to live at peace with one another and peace in our community. Verse 3. This is good, he says. <laughs> so, I mean, there, there's, a, there's a qualifier right there. What is this? The, what, what, what you're hearing here, this is good. To pray for kings like this, to pray for these things, this is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. I love how he kind of links those up. We usually think about 
God our Lord or Jesus our Savior, something like that. God our Creator and Jesus our Savior. But, but Paul will actually mix that up. And one of my favorite examples that this comes from is found in um, Acts. I'll say this a lot during our, our study of this. To the Ephesian elders, Paul said, and he does this, he says, uh, he describes God who purchased the church with his own blood. He says, God who purchased the church with his own blood. Not Jesus, God who purchased his church with his own blood. So the, it is the saving work of God that obviously is through Jesus Christ. But the reason why we want peace and the reason why we want this is because it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Why? Look at verse 4. This is a great verse to have underlined. What is God's heart? What does God want? What is God's desire? Verse 4, this God who desires. You, you notice a little green line on my, on my sheet that I have there? The word there for who is actually a word that could be translated, and even though it's translated who, it actually has more of the force of because. This pleases God. Why? Because he, God, desires all people to be saved. And what does that mean? He goes on to explain it. To be saved, and what I mean by that is to come to a knowledge of the truth. So then it explains it. So Sometimes we think about getting saved and then adding information. No. God desires, and the reason why we want a peaceful life is because God at his heart desires for all people to be saved. That is his heart. God desires all people to be saved by what? By coming to a knowledge of the truth. And that's why the Apostle Paul is walking into difficult circumstances. He's meeting opposition. And I just want you to know the truth. I want you to know the truth about God. I want you to know the truth about yourself. I want you to know the truth about Jesus. I want you to know the truth about God's plan. And by hearing the truth of the gospel about who God is, we come to saving faith. And that's the reason why Paul says, this is what we're praying for. This is what we're, we're ultimately looking for. Paul uses that phrase, knowledge of the truth, in a couple of other places. Also, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25, chapter 3, verse 7, and Titus 1, verse 1. This idea of this knowledge of the truth. And he continues on in verse 5. For, for there is one God... And there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So um, no, notice, I'll, I'll draw attention to this. Notice that the orange that goes through there picked up on a repeated phrase, which is, uh, in, in the Greek, it's called pas pasapon. It's the all word, okay? All, pon. So if you go all the way back to the very beginning, first of all, of primary importance, I want these thanksgivings to be made for all, all who are in high authority, um, in every way is just another word for all, in all the ways. Then he goes on, God desires that all people, and then now in verse 6 what we're going to see is that he came as a ransom for all. One commentator described this as the universality of God's plan. See, we can think of God as being very exclusive, right? Only Christians. But do, do you realize that that really doesn't explain what's happening in the Bible? It doesn't do it justice, like, the, there is a, a universality to it. And this is the reason why you can't be, like, a racist or a sexist or any kind of ist and also be a follower of Jesus. You can't have, like, pride and superiority. You can't have, an, you really can't have, in the negative sense, an us and a them. Now, there will be an us and a them. But when there is an us, our greatest desire with the us is that them become us by the grace of God. And so we have this very inclusive, we have this very open arm, open life, open mind, open uh, re response to what God is actually doing. And notice just how inclusive this exclusive God really is. So he's not going to change. He's, he's not going to somehow um, alter this plan. No, no, no. So we have a text that says um, Jesus, the name of Jesus, is the only name given unto men by which we must be saved. Acts chapter 4. Okay, that sounds very exclusive, but that good news is given to who? Americans? No, all. That's, that's, why, that's, that's why I'm going to Japan in the morning, is because there's a lot of people in Japan who don't know Jesus, and I'm just grateful that as a church, we care about that. 
Okay, so this is our, our mentality. There is an, an all direction of God's heart, and there is one God, there is one mediator, and this would have been very, very typical in their day. So even outside of a Christian context, they would have recognized that, that with this one God, there was then one mediator, someone to, to bridge the gap, someone to speak on behalf of. Um, I had an opportunity today to go to uh, Payne County Court to help a friend of mine who doesn't know speak English very well, and I just thought, okay, it was a, it was a just kind of a, it was a simple charge, and I'm just thinking, this is it's gonna, I need to go with you because if not, this will be just confusing for everybody, and I just want to help out Payne County. Okay, I was convicted about my peacefulness, and so I was doing my duty, and I'm, I was so interesting because I, I I've never been to like that's a weird place, by the way. If you've not been to court lately, you need to go sometime. It is amazing to be in. And it was fascinating to watch this um, very gifted um, lady judge just try to make sure that everyone had a representative. So I, I couldn't, the whole first part, they were just people, I think, that were in the jail. And so I, I couldn't see them because they were just facing her. And, and she would just say, hey, listen, like, can you afford a, a judge? I, I think this is amazing about this great country we live in. Can you afford like a, a council? And the majority of the people on the screen, I just heard them say, I can't, I can't afford counsel. Well, hey, I'm gonna send you some, pa- this is the judge, right? I'm gonna send you some paperwork. In Rome, they would have said, well, we're just gonna come kill you. I mean, Rome did not have this niceness to them. And you know what she said? We're gonna send you some paperwork, fill it out, and then we'll see you Friday. I mean, these are pre- people, I, I just, I don't mean to be mean, but I mean, they're probably most like guilty, right? right? I know and innocent before guilty, but you know what I'm saying, Right? And yet I absolutely love, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there going, everybody should have to see this. Everybody should have to see. And then there were like lawyers who were there saying, I'll take it, I'll help, right? And I'm sure they're getting paid, so get me wrong. I don't know how if it was all noble, but it was still a pretty cool experience, actually. Like, I need a mediator. I need someone who can help me. I need someone, and what is he saying? There is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. And who is it? The man Christ, again, Christ Jesus is emphasizing his title. Messiah Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom. Now you need to know this. That ransom is not, he didn't pay it to the devil. This is kind of some bad theology, some of it which we get from a really good book by C.S. Lewis called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Just forget his what is known as the ransom theory of atonement. He got it wrong on that one. I love C.S. Lewis, but he got that wrong. He got a couple things wrong, but he got that one wrong. Um, it's, it's God is not, or Jesus is not buying us back from Satan. That's not the idea, okay? Um, no, we were actually fallen under the same condemnation as Satan. So if you don't know Jesus, if you don't have a peace relationship with God through Christ by you putting your faith in what Jesus did for you. If you're still trying to figure out your whole sin problem on your own, which is not a good plan, by the way. I just, I, it didn't work well at Payne County. With the creator of the universe, it's gonna go much worse, okay? And Jesus is willing to be this mediator, and you're gonna just ignore that and try to do it on your own. And do you realize that, that me, if, if I didn't know Jesus, that me and Satan are under the same condemnation the holy god of the universe who we have me and satan who we've rebelled against we stand condemned and jesus ransomed us from that punishment and he purchased us for god again and i love how he describes it here paul says and he was this ransom for who for all now listen here's one of the one of the problems with this one of the problems is, is that there have been some people that then say, look at this, it's for all, meaning this is a, a universalism idea. You know what universalism is? That in the end, God who is so loving and who is so gracious, and he really is, by the way, I can't, I, I can't describe God and he would say, oh, actually, I'm not that loving. I mean, I couldn't do it. He's more loving, but I have to let him define love and not me and not Hallmark, right? And not saved by an angel or touched by an angel, whatever that weird show was. Right? God's the one who gets to define his plan and purposes and goodness. Okay? And when you think about that, that, so universalism that God would never let anybody go to hell because that would just be mean. Okay? That's, that's actually a biblical idea is that God will judge those who reject him, who have spurned him. 
Okay, that's what the Bible's teaching. No, but doesn't it say here that God wants everybody to be saved? Yes, he does. That's his heart. And then there are those who rebel against him and God lets them. Paul talks like this. God gives them over to their lust. So one of the quick things that it helps you understand is that all of these teachings that we're looking at on this text, Paul doesn't just only say this about almost any of these things. He says qualifying ideas that truth can stand and it also stands with many other truths alongside of it. So God desires that no one be saved. God desires that everyone come to a knowledge of the truth. God desires, God sent his son as a ransom for all, all true. And all do not accept him. And all do not, re- and all, um, uh, all do not find him. All do not, and those things don't compete against one another. They actually fit perfectly within one another. And then he closes out this section. He says here, Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Now, what's interesting is, is that this, this phrase here, and again, this, I, I think this is kind of fun. I didn't know this before, actually. That statement, which is a testimony that was given at the proper time, could actually be either this. That is Paul's testimony. If you notice, one of my arrows goes down to that I was appointed a preacher. But it could actually be this, and I I think I lean in this direction. I lean that Jesus Christ is God's testimony to us about his love. So it's not just Paul's testimony, but Jesus Christ is in fact God's testimony to the world. See, why does this matter? Here's why this matters, is because God is consistently getting, uh, when I say a bad rap, I don't mean a bad rap, I, I mean more of like, they're not, we're not hearing the truth about him. And the truth about him is that this is the kind of love that he has. This is the kind of mercy that he has, that he sends his son so that no one would perish, but that everyone would come to eternal life. And that is the testimony, and it was given at the proper time, at the exact right time. And verse 7, Paul kind of ties him in on this. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. So someone who heralds, Okay, someone, which by the way, that's, it's, it's kind of a, it's a great word. It's somebody who has good news. I mean, I recently bought a barbecue that I'm really excited about and I can't stop talking about it. I mean, it, it is incredible. I can now smoke meat and it is, it's life-changing. It really is. And I can't stop talking about it. And it's kind of funny because people are like, wow, you're really preaching that one up. And yet, and you, you do the same thing for whatever you like, Okay fascinated with a new TV show on the BBC called Poldark. Anybody else see that show? Great show. And I just keep talking about it. Okay? Do you do the same for, literally it's what it means. To preach isn't just to sound condescending. Don't preach at me. It means to be a herald of good news. Right? What's amazing is that I don't feel any hesitation to let you know about this great barbecue I got. I don't have any hesitation to let you know this great show that I saw. You gotta see it too. And then when it comes to Jesus, well, you gotta be careful how you share that. Really? Like, is Jesus better than Ross Poldark? Yeah, he is. He is. He's better than short ribs. Like, eternally better. So Paul was appointed as a preacher and an apostle, i.e., one who is sent out. So it's not just stay, it is, there is a sent out, I'm telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher, and then he says this, of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And I think it's, I, I found this just fascinating, commentators didn't spend as much time on it, after going all, 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 he kind of says, but me, I was actually directed to the Gentiles. I thought that was just fascinating. So even in the midst of God's overarching love and God's overarching plan, God has a specific call for Paul. And, I'm, and, and what's also interesting is, is that whenever I think about the Gentile phrase, in the book of Acts, it's actually connected to this. And he will be brought before kings and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Kings, Gentiles, and what does Paul say here? Pray for them. What do I pray? That God gets them? No, 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 let, like God will get them, but don't worry about that. Like pray that the kind of magistrations they have, the kind of the administrations that they have as, as magistrates that we can, we can just advance the gospel. 
man, I want to have that insight. Well, the good news is I've got 17 minutes to talk about men's and women's roles. So I have evenly paced my lecture tonight. Verse 8 begins with a therefore again. So at the beginning in verse 1, or verse 1, he says, I urge that supplications. Now he says, I desire, same phrase that's used in verse 4, I desire that in every place, so he's kind of picking up of that all motif, I desire that in every place the men, that's going to be this first focus, should pray, lifting holy hands. And again, we might, two things, we might say, do you mean like this? Well, that would be like the Jewish way to pray is to literally to lift up hands. But it's not usually, hey, look at me, as much as it is almost literally a pick-me-up dad kind of a scenario, okay? So this is kind of the, the posture, which is a very kind of a humbling uh, position to be in. They should lift up holy hands. So is that like purified hands, like um, the, the ritualistic cleansing? Well, no, it's actually not through ritualistic cleansing. Notice how he describes it, without, without anger or quarreling. And hold on to that because he's going to talk about elders next week in chapter 3. And one thing that an elder should never be is hot-tempered, given to anger. Why? Because the holy hands is, again, going back to what Paul says to Timothy, is that clear conscience and that, that pure faith, that, uh, that sincere heart. And so instead of hands that do this, hands that are always ready to fight, he says, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands without anger or without quarreling. Um, there are certain things that affect our prayers. Let's just be honest. We just, we make prayer like it's, you can do it any way that you want. I mean, these are very unbiblical ideas. Um, no, their uh, hidden sin affects our prayers. Intentional sin affects our prayers. Um, it just, I mean, I want you to think of this. And listen, he's the perfect father, okay? He's the perfect God, but I remember, I remember Mark Driscoll saying in a sermon one time, um, like in a, in a marital situation, so imagine, you know, we, 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 we partner a lot with Wings of Hope, and the example that Mark Driscoll uses is in, the, is in the context of like physical abuse, which sadly enough happens in our culture. And there are, I guarantee you, even people that suffer like within our own congregation, suffer abuse. And Mark Driscoll said this, you, you do know that like if you are harming, you're like if you're physically assaulting your wife, you're harming God's daughter, he's not gonna listen to your prayers. Like I, he says, just as a, as a dad or as a mom, if you're, if you're attacking my daughter, then don't come to me and act like everything is okay. Now listen, God does that perfectly. But we sometimes fail to see. In a couple of weeks, I'll be preaching in the beginning, Matthew 18. And the Bible talks in this great warning about sin. And we fail to recognize that hidden sin, that this kind of quarreling would in fact hinder our prayers. Now, God doesn't do this. It's not like he pretends that he can't hear you. Um, but a lot of times I believe God in his, in his mercy, um, a lot of the no's that we hear are not because we're not being good and we're not pleasing him, hear me. But there might be other things he's trying to work through in your own sanctification. So men don't lift up angry hands, but we lift up holy hands without prayer or quarreling. Verse 9, likewise also women should adorn themselves. Now both of these, this is kind of interesting, one is going to talk about how women dress and the other one's going to be talking about how men should pray. I actually think both of them are about how they should pray. Because both of these are attitudinally. Men shouldn't be quarrelsome. Okay, now again, kind of hold off on, well these are stereotypical. Okay, I would even argue this. Stereotypes exist for a reason. They didn't write men are from Mars and women are from Mars. Right? Didn't write men are from Venus and women are from Venus. I mean, there are some things that are there. Okay? And Paul is preaching to us and we're here to learn tonight. And so here's what Paul says. Paul is addressing a church that he knows. So let's just trust that what he is describing is true. I'm just going to assume the men that he is speaking to and challenging Timothy to address need to quit being angry and quarrelsome. Grow up. And then he says, likewise, also women should adorn themselves. And then notice all of these categories. I love how much like with prayer, all of them are kind of describing the same thing. Look at what he says. In respectful apparel with modesty and self-control. 
Now, again, one of the problems that I have with the way that we look at this is that in our culture, we quickly go to modesty in this and we, we think in terms of sexual uh, uh, promiscuity. And although, although that may be kind of what Paul is describing, when you see how he describes the knot, it doesn't sound slutty, it actually sounds more pretentious. Because notice what he says. Dress respectfully, dress with self-control. Now notice, not with braided hair, and that was not a sign of a prostitute, it was a sign of a woman of great wealth. They would literally braid their wealth into their hair. Okay? Not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire. So the, the front half of that, respectful with self-control, is not in what way? With great wealth. And again, imagine a, a congregation where you have like the incredibly rich and the incredibly poor side by side. Right? I mean, again, here, here's, we might even go, yeah, that's just like us. No, you really need to go back and read history. It's not like us. Listen, I know there's some disparity here, but back then there was crazy disparity that existed. And imagine how hard that would be. So he says, women, I I don't want you to, um, to, to pray and to be involved in prayer while you're actually trying to show off all that you have gained. So they're both about attitude. If you notice the green on the brackets, I have two brackets on the side at the very top of that whole section. I have content. Um, and then I have theology beside it. On the bottom, I've actually got the phrase manner. So the first part, he's talking about the content of how we should pray. And then the second one, he's talking about the manner by which we should pray. And men, peacefully. And women, not pretentiously. Now, now by the way, just, just so we're clear, does that mean men can be pretentious and women can be quarrelsome? Like, do you realize how dumb that is? That's not what he is saying at all. He is addressing specific issues. We have to see that he is doing that. But the Bible speaks elsewhere about everybody not being quarrelsome and about everybody not being pretentious, okay? But he's addressing a specific situation here. Verse 10, but, he says, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, literally the word there in some translation says who profess to worship God. The Greek word is theosebeomai, Theo is God, Sabeomai is worship. So who profess God worship is how they translate it here, godliness. So if you profess, here's what's interesting. Both with men and women, if we profess to be godly, and then how we behave is not godly, then it brings shame and reproach on who Jesus Christ is. Um, the number of times, it's not, I won't say it's every week, but the number of times I have somebody and they say, you know, I'd like to come to Sunnybrook, but now somebody who goes to Sunnybrook and they act like this. And it's not just junior high and high school kids. And I have to teach about the greater, the complexity of progressive sanctification and how we need to be learned to be patient with everyone. And, and I don't even, they, they usually, they, usually they hate giving me a name, right? Because I want to know, how can I help my brother or sister who's struggling? I don't want to say who it is. Okay, I get that. I don't need to push that. I mean, then I, I, I don't know. Maybe they're struggling too. Maybe they've seen you do something as well. But the one thing that we just cannot deny is the fact that like how we live and how we act and how we behave and how we're pretentious and how we're, it has an effect on the way that people look at us. And Paul is saying, I want you to... To be godly. And so notice what he says here. Is in, instead of being ostentatious, instead of being quarrelsome, but for the woman's side, instead of being ostentatious, he says, I want you to do good works. Which the phrase there for good works is a phrase that is actually was used um, not just within Christian circles, but even within like Roman and Greek circles where there was um, uh, kind of an expectation that we would, we would better society that we would, we, would, we would help those who were disenfranchised. And that's what that good works kind of means. Okay? So there's, there's ways that we can behave, and then there are ways, um, and, and, and you know, we might argue we have the right to do that because we have the right to be angry, or we have the right to kind of dress any way that we want. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. The gospel shapes not just the content of your prayers, but the manner with which. Be peaceful be humble. He continues on. 
Let a woman learn quietly with all, don't argue with me, okay, not yet. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness, okay? Now, again, I I just need to say this as we kind of wrap this up. That might sound shocking to you, but this actually would seem totally normal in many instances, okay? What he's about to share here, and then as we go into the next chapter, would not be a shock, okay? But... In the city of Ephesus, there was a huge cult to Artemis, and it was run by a large number of priestesses. And so scholars wonder how much of that influence would have actually still been somewhat involved within the church. So Paul says, let a woman learn, in quiet, uh, learn quietly with all submissiveness. Verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Okay, now a couple of things that I want to just point out here. The quietly and with all submission um, are actually attributes that he is already lifting up that stem from humility. Okay? And so we shouldn't be offended by that. We shouldn't get our, we shouldn't get our back up at all. No, none of us should, okay? Much like in the, book of, um, in the book of Ephesians, obviously written to the same people, Paul says, um, therefore submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. And he, he literally gives this overarching category. And the word quiet is not so much up, nope, not a word, not a word, not a word, no, not a word. It's more of, again, notice what this whole section is about. It is the manner with which. So are we here to yell and argue, or are we here to to learn? And so the word quietly is not shut up. You have nothing to say. It's more of an attitude. And again, scholars love to debate like whether or not Paul knew of some specific women that were causing problems. Um, I, I don't know. I have no idea, but Paul says... These attitudes, I, I, I recommend that women have. Now, going back and looking at that, it's interesting. In verse 12, it says, I do not permit a woman to teach. That's kind of a little bit of an interesting phrase. He doesn't say to Timothy, and I don't even have an answer for this, okay? But he doesn't say, do not permit women to teach. He says what? I do not permit women to teach. But you might go, well, what's the difference? Well, there might actually be one. It might be Paul saying, hey, with the way that things are going right now, and Paul does this sometimes, I really want you to follow this line of thinking right now. This is what I want you to do, Timothy. Okay? So I thought, I thought that was interesting. Those two words, to teach or to exercise authority, the word to exercise authority, I don't know if you've ever seen this, um, it is actually a word that Paul does not use the normal word for authority. This is like an ugly word for authority. It is far more of the, of the bossy, um, the overbearing word. It's not the typical word for authority that Paul uses by any stretch of the imagination. And so I, I find that to be, first of all, like Paul is addressing something different. The other thing that I consistently say when I'm teaching this, and I'm not trying to find out of anything, I, I think this text can be totally misused to say women can't teach, can't say anything, and women can't, and again, I'm, I, if that's what the Bible teaches, I'm willing to buy it. I'm willing to deal, whatever it says, against me or against whoever, I gotta submit myself to the Bible. But I want to also, as I'm doing that, question maybe have we got it wrong the last, say, 200 years? Is that some of our chauvinism, just like right now some of our feminism is leading us down the road. So before I just buy what everybody's been selling for 200 years, I wanna go back and look at the text. And I find it interesting that at the same time when Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach, there are other examples in the Bible where Paul has women teach. So I, I've got, so hear me, I gotta, I gotta bring those together. I can't just go, well, Paul's inconsistent, I can do what I want. No, 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 don't be lazy, think this through. I do not permit a woman to have authority, okay? Um, I know you're gonna wanna know this, they are present active infinitive verbs. You might wanna write that down. Which means this, is that what he seems to be describing is somebody who is constantly in the state of. And I wonder if what Paul is referencing here, especially with authority and teaching, as he is getting ready to deal with in chapter 3 with elders, if this is Paul's way of saying, hey, listen, 
like for the sake of order, that's a big word for Paul. You can disagree with him. He likes order. And Paul seems to be like the way the family runs is the way that the church runs. And I can't help but wonder if what Paul is saying here in this constant state of teaching, because as you know, I mean, I believe in this text fully. I don't believe I'm kind of sidestepping this text. Um, And yet a woman preaching or a woman teaching is, is to me not outside of what Paul's doing with this text. Um, my personal, deep, I've studied through it and I don't feel like I'm capitulating one way or the other. I think the text and then its supporting text seems to be saying that the role of elder is, um, is exclusively for men. But in terms of praying, which women are doing, and in terms of teaching, and in terms of some of that, that, that is very much a, a, a place where women can use their giftedness and experience joy and, in, in, uh, in, I would say, even leading others uh, in that process. And we'll talk more about that as this continues on and as we deal with the next, uh, with the next chapter. It says, rather, she is to remain quiet. I said that. For verse 13, and this, I'll, I'll read this all quick and then uh, explain to you this, because this last little bit, for those of you that have read ahead, this is just crazy. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived, which, by the way, it's not blaming Eve for everything. Basically, what they're saying is, is that Eve was able to be deceived. In other texts, Paul says, Eve was deceived, therefore we all can be deceived. So don't just hear woman, it's, it's really not, a, it's not even fair to Paul's theology. Paul gives a warning to men, and they, if Eve could have been deceived, then you know you could have been. So don't relegate this to the sidelines. It doesn't even fit with Paul's theology, okay? Um, was deceived first and became a transgressor. Literally, it says in the Greek, um, came into transgression or came into a state of sin. Yet she will be saved through childbearing, if they continue in faith and love and hope and holiness and in self-control. So notice how it says that, that women uh, will be saved through childbearing. Now, step one, saved. Obviously, Paul doesn't mean saved by grace through faith and giving birth to children, right? It doesn't fit with Paul's theology. I love this. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 to women, don't marry. Don't marry. Like, it's better for you not to be. He says it to men, too, by the way. <laughs> Don't marry. But if a woman's salvation was based on giving birth to children, how could Paul tell women not to marry? Obviously, he doesn't mean that, correct? Real quickly, the idea of saved can also mean made whole. And what he could be saying is that a woman finds meaning and purpose. Not only, don't, don't rush to the superlative, but a woman finds meaning and purpose in this act as mother. She must continue in faith and she must continue in this, but this is where she finds her completeness, right here, okay? Also, I think this is even, even more interesting, is that that word childbearing could actually be translated the childbearing. There's a definite article right before it. So it could say that women can be saved through the childbearing, which a lot of this text is actually from Genesis chapters two and three, which is Adam and Eve and then the fall. Who would be the childbearing? Jesus. Now it's a little bit of a weird way to say it, okay? So I have to admit that. It's a weird way of saying it, but the definite article there doesn't make a lot of sense either. But we do know this, Paul does not believe in saved through giving birth to children, okay, and grace. That's just nuts, so we can't mean that. So it's gotta mean one of these other options, okay? But ultimately, what I wanna leave us with is this idea that what you and I have in this book is going to challenge different aspects of our lives. I mean, hear what we've heard tonight. You need to pray for kings and rulers and authorities that um, don't like you, that treat you poorly, and probably don't deserve your respect, but out of respect for God, you need to pray for them. That's heavy. Hey, men, here's how you need to literally grow up and quit being angry and quit being quarrelsome. Women, here's how you need to pray humbly, that there needs to be within the church a spirit. And he'll, he'll get the men a little bit too, but I don't want to, it's, it's not about arguing, it's not about, it's literally about learning quietly and it's learning to be like submissive. And that's not, I would even argue this, yes, that is to women and yes, it is to all of us for we are all followers of Jesus Christ. 
And so what I love is, don't, don't be like the kid going, well, what about him? What about him? How come I have to? Because whenever anybody gets like their, you know, get all, gets all bent out of shape, it's, it's because they're just so worried about what everybody else is getting and they're not hearing from God. Like, don't do that. Don't miss what God is saying to you tonight. Let's pray. God, speak to us. Um, not just in what we have heard, um, but as we leave here. <laughs> Father, give us a peaceful spirit. Give us a deep sense of humility um, that comes from the fact that we are broken and yet you love us. And Father, may we um, live a life that is different than the world around us so that the world might know who you are. God, I pray. I pray for the, 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 the Trump administration and the team. I pray for the Clinton administration and the team. God, I pray for this country um, that we would um, yet once again understand just how sovereign and good you are and that God somehow, uh, by your grace and for your purposes, that we would find a peaceful way to live with one another so that the good news of Jesus may be proclaimed. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Uh, I wish I knew see you later in Japanese, but it's probably something cool, so I'll, I'll learn it and I'll come back and say it. Love you guys, we'll see you. Oregado, damas oregado, Mr. Roboto.